Amen. Um, we are in the book of Genesis, and we're in chapter 18. Last week, chapter 17, uh, Abraham, 99 years old, Abram, Sarai is 89, and God reconfirms his covenant with them. He institutes the sign, which every covenant has to be has to have a sign, and in this case, the sign of the covenant was circumcision. You were not a part of the nation, and therefore could not be in relationship with God unless you were circumcised. Uh, that, that circumcision represented in, in Exodus, the, the rolling away of the reproach of Egypt. It, it, it was symbolic of uh, relationship with God. Uh, the closest thing we have today is baptism. Baptism is a symbol of a relationship that we have with the Lord. It doesn't save us but it is a sign. Uh, their names are changed uh, to Abraham and Sarah. Abram, the father of many, to Abraham, the father of nations. All of that with only one son and 99 years old. Okay, uh, Sarah, Sarai, my lady or my princess, which would have the context of maybe one family, her name is changed to lady or princess, um, not just Abraham's princess, but a lady or princess of multitudes. Now, when the Lord says this, if you'd go back to chapter 17, I just want you to get the feeling of this in verse 16. The Lord says, and I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. Speaking of Sarah, Sarah I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations kings of peoples shall come from her that is an astounding promise to a woman who was unable to have children and who is uh, at this point um, uh, 89 years old 90 and then here's what Abraham does verse 17 then Abraham fell on his face and laughed I mean um, you might say he fell out he was laughing so hard I mean he 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 was laughing so he fell on his face in laughter now by the way, uh, who is speaking to Abraham? God is. <laughs> now, okay, God says this, and Abraham, speaking to God, falls down in laughter. I mean, like, what did that look like? I don't know, but keep that in mind, okay? Um, well, uh, the Lord says that he will lovingly do this by this time next year. So for the first time, God says, okay, this is when this is going to happen. You think it's funny? Great, next year, this time. Right. And and so the Lord uh, lets him in on that secret. Uh, he promises to bless Ishmael and then Abram, Abraham. We can call him that from now on. We can just call him Abraham and Sarah. But uh, uh, Abraham and all of his men are circumcised. And we talked about how, you know, after laughing and like, you got to be kidding me, Lord. That's like hilarious. Uh, he goes and does what God says. I guess it's, if God tells you something and you think it's funny, go ahead and laugh, but then get up and do it. <laughs> you know, and, and that's what that's what Abraham does. He, he circumcises himself and all of his men. And as we talked about last year, uh, last, last year, uh, last week, that this is jumping off the cliff because they have no defense. They are completely and totally depending upon God. All right. And then his men, you know what? They had enough trust in Abraham to say, you know what, Abraham, this better be God. Because if not, man, you're going to be in some trouble. And, and <laughs> I mean, think of the faith the men had. You go, what? Okay. Chapter 18. Now, in ancient covenants, there was always a covenant meal. And that's important because it speaks of breaking bread. It speaks of fellowship. It, 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 it speaks of unity. Um, uh, uh, in marriages today, uh, a lot of marriages, not all, but but the custom of, of, of maybe having food for everybody. You ever think, who thought of that? I mean, it's one thing to invite everybody to your wedding, but who in the world thought about feeding all these people? Right, Glenn? His oldest is getting married on Saturday. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, but that's that in one sense speaks of covenant. You know, you know how the uh, hu husband and wife will take, cake and they'll, they'll feed one another okay and maybe smush it in their face or whatever in one another's face uh, Jesus has given us a covenant meal too and that's communion 
we celebrate communion by taking juice together and by taking uh, crackers, which are symbolic of his blood and his body that was broken for us. And so that's our covenant meal. Jesus, on that Passover night, said to his disciples, how I've longed to have this Passover meal with you. And it was more than just a Passover meal. It was a covenant meal. All right. And so um, chapter 18, um, it's it's been OK. Uh, Sarah has is not with child yet. OK, because remember, the remember, the Lord said you in a year this time next year, a year from now, she'll be with child. So up to this point, she's not with child. OK, so the, the reason I say that is because chapter 17 to chapter 18 isn't very long. Okay, because she's still not, and you know, we got nine months to have a baby, so this is within three months. Okay, all right, so chapter 18, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. And when he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from the front, uh, from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. And said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Let, please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a piece of bread and uh, that you may refresh yourselves. After that, you may go on since you have visited your servant. And verse 6, So Abram hurried into the tent to Sarah and say quickly prepare three measures of fine flour needed and make bread cakes okay so uh, Abram is now you know he's had this amazing vision from the Lord he's got a year before this child comes it's been one two maybe three months and it hasn't happened yet so so you know it's probably in his mind if he's doing the math he's thinking hey anytime now this, this is supposed to happen right and he gets a visitation from the Lord uh, he gets a visitation from the Lord. And he's at a place called the Oaks of Mamre, which means vision, and in Hebron, which is communion. So he is at a place of communion with God and a place of vision with the Lord. And so just a very quick comparison, and we'll get to this next week, uh, actually in two weeks, because next week uh, the New Life Drama Company will be here, and uh, they are a group of people who travel all over the country and do skits and drama. Some of them are Hilarious! I would just tell you, you will be laughing like crazy. And some of them are very deep and very profound. And so I want to invite you all to come bring somebody, some neighbors, some friends. If you have some friends that are close to you that you've been trying to come to church, this would be a great time for them to come because they'll preach the gospel in a very creative way. And I promise you a lot of laughter and maybe even some tears, but it'll be serious. So um, anyway, so in two weeks, we'll get to Sodom and Gomorrah. But Abram is at a place of communion and vision with God. His nephew, if you remember him, Lot, is in Sodom. And Sodom is a picture of the world and sin and corruption. Abram is sitting at a tent, and he's separated from all of the craziness of the world. Lot is, as we'll see, is sitting in the city gates. And the city gates is a place of, uh, think of downtown. It's, it's where all the power brokers are. It's the place where the movers and the shakers are. So first, as we saw weeks ago, that that Lot uh, looked at uh, Sodom, and and it reminded him of the plains of Egypt, and, and then he pitched his tent towards Sodom, and then he moved into Sodom, and now he's in the very city gates. He's in the heart of the city. He's maybe a mover and shaker in the city. So he's uh, Abraham's got communion with the Lord, and he is separated, and Lot has got communion with Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's right in, in the midst of it. So I, I asked this question, if you look on the outside, you know, like, like maybe you were reading this story and you didn't know how it was going to pan out, and, and, then, and then you remember how Lot got all of Sodom and, and, and it was this beautiful you know, place and, and it reminded him of Egypt and who wouldn't want to live in Egypt back in the day, right? And then Abram, he's like wandering out in the wilderness and he's out in a tent, and you ask yourself this question, who's got the goods? You know, who's got the goods? Man, Lot's got the goods, right? I mean, he's living in, you know, he's living in a high-rise place downtown Las Vegas. I mean, he's got, he doesn't even, you know, 4th of July, no, uh, New Year's Eve, he can see the fireworks from his, they're shooting fireworks off the top of his townhouse. I mean, he's living large, right? Oh, really? It depends on your perspective. 
Because if you read the story from a, from a, 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 a godly perspective, Lot doesn't have the goods. Abraham has the goods. He's got a promise from God, and even though it's not fulfilled yet, it's better than what Lot has. Okay? Now, society would say, no, Lot's got the goods. Man, look at him. He's living large, and he's living in, in Sodom. It's a place of movers and shakers. And, and you know what? We'll, we'll see that all of that is just going to fade away, just like the world will one day. Now, listen, I, I say that to say that God's purpose is not to improve this world, but to redeem and save lost souls living in this world. God's purpose is not to improve this world, okay, but to redeem lost and save lost souls living in this world. We will never reform the world if we blend in with the world. A lot maybe thought, you know what, I can live there, and I can be a light, and I can draw Sodom uh, to the Lord, and as we'll see, it's not going to work out very good. It's a failed evangelistic experiment. Maybe he wasn't supposed to be there in the first place. We don't know for sure, okay? But on the other hand, Abraham is got the goods, are you sanctified tonight? Do you know what that word means? To be sanctified? It means to be, Roy, set apart. It means to be when, when all of this is over here, you're the instrument over there. And, and to be sanctified will sometimes cause us to stand alone, but we're never alone because he's always with us. But it means to be separate. It's to be called out, to be holy. It means to be in but not of. So we're in this world, but we're not of this world. Our citizenship is United States of America, you know what, but it's also heaven. You know, that's our earthly, we have an earthly citizenship and a heavenly citizenship, and we've always got our eyes on the earth and on heaven, and we live our life that way, okay? Uh, so Abram runs to the door to meet them, according to the hospitality of the day. He, it's hot, okay? He's at the, probably at, at, the, at the entrance of his tent, getting a little shade, getting a little breeze flowing through there. Remember, he's a sheik. So he's incredibly wealthy. He may be as wealthy as anyone on the planet at this time. We don't know, but he's incredibly wealthy because everywhere he goes, God blesses him. So he's got the goods, right? And he's, he's in this tent, and, and these heavenly messengers come to visit him. He doesn't know right away that they're heavenly messengers. It doesn't tell us that. But we learn something about Abram. According to the hospitality of the day, when a stranger came by, you had to meet their needs. You had to invite them in. It was, it was a, a worse than a social faux pas not to invite someone in. It's like, you, 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 how dare you not have hospitality? I think hospitality is a lost art in the Christian community. I, I think hospitality is something that, that, that we, we could probably all uh, uh, do more of uh, uh, the the New Life Drama Company when they when they come next week they they will be staying at at a home and I like it when someone comes you know whether it's a drama company or a musician or a speaker and they say don't worry about a hotel you know what put me up in someone's house and we go amen we can save that money <laughs> right and because there are plenty of people in the body that would say we love to have them over and we won't keep them up till one in the morning asking questions right but yeah. So they're, they're banking on the fact that churches don't want to spend money for hotels, first. And secondly, that there's some hospitable people in the body of Christ that would love to have these folks stay with them. Yeah, amen. Hospitality. And in those days, it was, it was everything. It was your responsibility when you had guests to even die for them if you had to, protect them if you had to. It absolutely was. It's uh, incredibly important. And as we'll see, this was, this was no small thing. Verse 6, Abram, Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. I, I want you to notice, he, he, he sees them. He runs to them. There's a sense of urgency. No, he's got the goods. He could have sent a servant to see. Go see who those guys are. No, he runs to them. And, and, then, and, then, he, and then he runs into, into where Sarah is, uh, into her tent. And says, Prepare three measures of five flour, knead it, and make bread cakes. Abram ran to the herd and took a, a tender choice calf and gave it to the servant, and he hurried to prepare it. Then he took curds of milk and the calf which he had prepared and placed it before them. And, and he was standing by them under the tree. As No, this is Abraham. This is the man of God. No, Abraham, you get your food first. 
Abraham, you sit. No, you don't serve, Abraham. You are served. But here is, here is the guy who has the, 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 the best, the tightest, the, the most important relationship with God on the planet right now. He is the man. He's, he's a, there's a promise that's going to come through him that will bless the entire world. And he's wealthy, and he's of notoriety. He's got, a, he's got an army, and he's a servant. And he stands while these men are eating. Like, is there anything else I can get you? How Christ-like is that? Jesus, the ultimate servant, who said, I did not come to be served, but to serve others who humbled himself to the point of death even death on the cross ah servant you want to be godly be a servant and this is a big to do and he's running to and fro to make this happen we learn from this that abraham was a servant and maybe as we look at the character qualities of him we begin to see things in him that god already knew about him this man abraham's a servant you know um does he know who he's tending to? Does he know that, that the, the, these are heavenly messengers? And, and, and I believe that one of them is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Uh, no man has seen God and lived. And, and so he sees these messengers and he lives. You, you can't see God. Certainly in all of his glory, Moses uh, uh, couldn't even see. He could only see the backside of God because he could not uh, uh, see God in, in his glory. I, I personally think that one of these is, is Jesus Christ who shows up all over the Old Testament. Does he know? I don't think it mattered to him. It doesn't tell us that he knew who they were. So that tells us even more about he's not a respecter of persons. I mean, if he knows they're angelic, hey, I tell you what, an angel comes and knock on your door, you better be hospitable, right? But if it's just somebody coming and asking for directions, you may not be so hospitable. He was not a respecter of persons, okay? Hebrews 13, 1 and 2 says this. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Maybe the writer to the Hebrews was thinking about this when he said that. I mean, does that mean that we might possibly have angels in our midst and not know it? I don't know. I, ha I received a gift recently of modern-day miracles. And these are people who survived absolutely miraculous circumstances. I mean, things that medical doctors shake their head and say, that's an absolute miracle. We have no medical explanation for that. And they shake their heads and go on to the next patient. And hopefully they have questions in their head, like in the midnight hour. How did that happen? And one of the stories was a story of a, of a, of a man who was a basketball coach um, and who was driving, um, uh, uh, had played uh, golf all day in sweltering heat, I think in Georgia, and, and he's driving and, and he wants to try to make it to this next town. He doesn't make it. Uh, he flips his car and, 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 and it, it, his, car, his car is on fire. He's disoriented and, and, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a person uh, 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 I think it was a woman, an elderly woman, who comes up to him and says, you need, to, you need to get out of your car, sir. You need to get out of your car right now. Listen to me. Get out of your car. And so he's, he's disoriented. He, he, he's looking around. He grabs his golf clubs trying to get out. And she says, sir, you're not going to need those. You're not going to need Put them down. You need to get out. And then he starts going in one direction. She says, sir, you need to come this way. You need to come this way. Don't go that way. And, and, and so he's, he's in a daze, he's in a fog, he, he crawls out, he crawls away from, from his car, and, and, and it's engulfed in flames, and he looks around and she's gone. And that man believes that was an angel. And I totally believe that. Because angels are ministering spirits. The Bible says that young children, they have angels. And says that their face never stops seeing the face of God. Interesting. Interesting. Okay? Don't ever disrespect an angel. Okay, chapter, uh, 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 verse 9 through 13. Okay, and they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? 
And he said, behold, in the tent. Isn't that interesting? Like, how do you know about Sarah? How do you know my wife's name? Uh, in the tent. And he said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. See, I believe that this is a repeat of what was said before. Uh, the Lord had already said that in the previous chapter, and, and I think that he's just repeating that. Verse 19, uh, know your wife, Sarah, uh, shall bear you a son. You shall call his name Isaac. Uh, uh, I'm in verse uh, chapter 17. Uh, and I will uh, establish my covenant. But verse 21, she will bear you a son at this season next year, chapter 17, verse 20. I think he was just repeating that. Okay? It says in verse 11, it says, back in chapter 18, sorry. Mine's all on the same page, so I can just go back and forth. It says, now Abram and, and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. And Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I have become old, shall I have pleasure? My Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child? Now, I want you to back up real quick. Verse 12, Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have become old, shall I have pleasure with my Lord being old also? And, tell, and the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child? Wow. Um, here God repeats the promise that he had given them not too long ago. Uh, and why did he do that? Because I don't know about you, but I need to hear God's promises over and over again. Uh, I, need to, I, need to, to, uh, I need to hear them. Uh, there's a book you can, call, you can get called uh, uh, the Bible Promise Book, and it's just a book of promises. Uh, you know, I need that uh, to, to encourage me, uh, to develop my faith. Uh, Romans 10 says, so when... Uh, then faith comes by hearing, and, and hearing comes by the word. Uh, and, and we need to hear God's promises over and over again. You know what else? Sometimes the hardest part of faith is right before the promise happens. Sometimes that's the hardest part. And so here's the Lord again, months later, reviewing and renewing the covenant that he's already said to him. Now, Hebrews 11.11 11 says this. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child. Though she was barren and was too old, she believed that God would keep his promise. Okay, so that's the faith hall of fame. That's like the Canton, Ohio of scriptures. And Sarah's in there. And you think, wait a minute, didn't she just laugh at the Lord? I mean, what's she doing in there? Well, it says, uh, it, by faith, she was able to have a child, even though she was barren and, and was too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. And so she laughs within herself, right? Like, yeah, right. I mean, how much longer are we going to go on with this story of me having a child? It's not going to happen. It hasn't happened yet. It's not going to happen. You ever heard someone say, listen, how many thousands of years have you Christians been saying Jesus is coming back? Jesus is coming back. I saw one T-shirt that said this. It said, Jesus is coming back. Everybody look busy. You know, I thought it was funny, but I felt sorry for that person because I thought, you know what, man, you, you, you know what? I hope you have that shirt on when Christ returns, you know? Okay. Um, she's there. She laughs within herself, and it made me think a few things. One is we might think and speak differently if we remember that God hears and knows everything we think and say. I forget that. Now, I don't know about you. You all are pretty spiritual people. But I forget that God knows my thoughts sometimes. And sometimes, you know what, I need, a, I, need a, I need a reminder. Like when the Holy Spirit says, you did not just think that. And I, I go, yeah, I did. My bad, my bad, my bad. I, I mean, really? I mean, ultimately, Jesus said that you would be held responsible for every idle word that you speak on that day of judgment. It's not just your works, but, but your words that will be held against you. I mean, they got the record of everything you've said. Uh, and I just think that I would, I, would, I, would, I would think and speak differently if I remembered that God thinks, knows everything I think 
and everything I say. She laughs to herself, and the Lord says, why is she laughing? <laughs> that happened in the New Testament often with Jesus and the disciples. They would say something or think something, and he'd say, why are you thinking that? It's like, oh, my goodness, this is crazy. Like, that would be so hard to be a disciple, you know, like, like you're around Jesus all the time, and, you know, something happens, and like everybody's, maybe the apostles are laughing, or they're all looking or something, and, and then Jesus says, what are you looking at? And like, oh, my goodness, and that would be hard. Okay, listen, she laughed, I think, not so much in doubt of what God could do, but doubt about what he could do through her. Hebrews 11 says, by faith, she was able to have a child. She believed that God would keep his promise. Okay, that's the context of her life. I believe she laughed not so much in doubt of what God could do, but from doubt about what he could do through her. See, listen, it's, it's just like this. It's one thing to believe in God and have faith in him. It's another thing to believe that God can do something special in you. One of the greatest, if maybe not the greatest, with this stunt that this last dude pulled off, uh, tightrope walkers, was named Charles Blunden. He would scale a tall pole over Niagara Falls and from a small platform would walk out on a steel cable that stretched out across the falls. You can imagine that that always drew a crowd, right? Always. Um... As he was walking the tightrope, he would do different tricks, like he would jump up and down or do somersaults or headstands. One time they said he was supposedly halfway across the falls, uh, and, and uh, wait, he stopped halfway across the falls to cook and eat an omelet on the tightrope. I'm just telling you that's what I heard. I mean, nobody makes that up, right? And, and, of course, there's all kinds of oohs and ahs, and the crowd goes wild at these tricks. Uh, and, and then he would return from the tightrope, and he'd go, and, of course, autographs like crazy, right? One day, when he returned from the uh, tightrope, he did something he had never done before. Uh, he addressed the crowd. He asked them, did you like the performance? And, of course, everybody loved it. He asked them, you think I could do it again? And everybody cheered even louder. And then he said this, do you think I could do it with someone on my shoulders? And the crowd went wild. Yeah, we know you can. And so he asked, who of you would like to be the first volunteer? Yeah. Finally. One man stepped out of the crowd. It was his manager. <laughs> he climbed to the top of the pole. He got on Blondin's shoulders. He did everything that Blondin told him to do. And inch by inch, they crossed Niagara Falls on a one-inch thick cable. And when he got there, the crowd went absolutely insane. See, everybody said you could do it. But there was only one man who truly believed. And it was that man who stepped out of the crowd and put his life in Blondin's hands. It's one thing to believe in God. And that's huge. It's another thing to believe that God would use you to do something spectacular. Sometimes the Lord says, do you believe? And we say, yes, Lord. Do you believe? Yes, Lord. Walk this way. You go, no, Lord. <laughs> yeah. It's just like people who say, oh, yeah, man, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Absolutely. I am. I'm a follower of Jesus. But listen, if that belief hasn't changed your life, you might want to question whether you truly believe in him or not. Because knowing God in your mind can be different than knowing him in your heart. And as someone had once said, there are multitudes of people who will miss heaven by 18 inches, the average distance between the heart and the brain. There's one thing to have a confession of Christ. It's another thing to have a possession of Christ. Which one do you have? 
turns out that impossible situations are a platform from which God likes to work his miracles. Backed up to a Red Sea, floating axe heads, raising the dead, surviving crucifixion. That, that's God's platform. He likes to work in those situations. Verse 13 again, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Verse 14, is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah denied it, however, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. And I just picture this. No, I didn't. She's talking to the Lord. And the Lord says, yes, you did. Now, now talk about denial. It's like, no, no, I did not laugh. And it's, this is the Lord. And I believe the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ, he's going, that was not me laughing. And he's going, really? I don't know. Listen, unbelief is doubting the power of God to do what he has promised to do, I think. I think unbelief is doubting the power of God to do what he has said he would do. Remember, in chapter 17, it says Abraham laughed. He fell out. Sarah laughs, then lies. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? That word is difficult or hard. And I found this out. I thought it was interesting. It's the same word for wonderful. Difficult and hard is the same word for wonderful, Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, and his name will be called Wonderful. Jesus is our wonderful one, but he isn't our hard one. Zechariah has an experience where he's told something miraculous is going to happen through him in the New Testament. Zechariah was told by an angel that his wife, Elizabeth, was going to have a son. And, and, and Zechariah was like, you know, John the Baptist, Zechariah was like, you know, how can I be sure this is going to happen because I'm old and my wife is also well along in years. That's a nice way of saying she's too old, man. And the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. He lost his ability to speak because of his unbelief. But in that same chapter, Mary, this is in Luke chapter 1, it says Mary gets a heavenly messenger from, from Gabriel. And this is about the child she's going to have. And, and the Lord kicks it up a notch. She's a virgin. Okay? And so here's the message. You're going to have a child. And Mary's like, you got to help me out here. I uh, thought you had to, to ha uh, no, okay. And it says she's confused and disturbed. Mary tried to think of what the angel could mean. And he said, don't be afraid, Mary. The angel told her, if you have found favor with God, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you'll call his name Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. And he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Boy, that'll preach right there, huh? And then Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. She asked the question. Zachariah asked the question, and he can't speak until the child is born. Mary asked the question, and the angel tells her, and the response she says, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. See, Zechariah had an unbelieving heart. Mary, I believe, had a questioning heart. God, how are you going to do that? See, there's a difference between an unbelieving heart and a questioning heart. And I don't think God minds our questions. Lord, how are you going to do that? Okay? Listen, if the Lord stopped at our unbelief, few of his promises would be fulfilled. Aren't you glad he doesn't stop there? I am. I'm glad he doesn't stop there. All right, back in Genesis. Verse 16. 
It says, Then the men rose up from there and looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham was walking with them to send them off. There's Abraham the servant again. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And Abraham will surely, since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him in order that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing uh, righteousness and justice in order that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. And the Lord said, so he's going to tell him, the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry which has come to me, and if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom while Abram was still standing before the Lord. Uh, and I want to give you a word called intercession right now. Intercession. What's your definition of intercession? Christian standpoint. Does anybody know? Give me, give me. Some, got some intercessors in here. What do you think that means? I'll repeat it. Anyone? Intercession. Someone who prays for others. Standing in the gap. That's a good word. Anyone else? Intercession. Intercession. Okay. There are no wrong answers, guys. What is it? An, a, a mediator or intermediator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A mediator. Yeah. That's good. Hebrew word for intercession means to fall upon, push back, or establish borders, to strike again, to stand in the gap and pray, to press the enemy back or out. The Greek word means to come against with devastating force. Abraham is about to intercede for Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay? The Lord has said, I'm going to go down there. Abraham already knows. Guess what? So does the Lord. Then why did he say that to Abraham? It's like, Lord, you know all things. Why do you ask questions? Why do you make statements about things that you already know? Has the Lord ever asked you a question? It's like he wasn't asking you the question because he doesn't know the answer. He's asking the question to, to bring up something within you. And that's what's happening here. He said, I'm going to go down to Sodom and Gomorrah and, and just see if, if what's going on. I mean, their, 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 their sin and their wickedness, it, it, like incense, has, has, has come. It, it's, it's reached up to heaven and it's stinking up the place. And I'm going to go down there and see. Well, he already knows what's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. He already knows that. But he says that so that Abraham could hear it, so that he could draw something out of Abraham. Turns out not only is Abraham a servant, but he's an intercessor as well. And he may not even have known it. And Abraham, verse 23, came near and said, Wilt thou indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And I picture the Lord going, what? W will, you, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And then he says this, suppose there are 50 righteous people in the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people? Far be it for thee to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? Okay, he knows who this is now. He's met this person before. And he's calling him the judge of all the earth. Now, wait a minute now. You're talking about going and destroying a city? I know who this is. So the Lord said... If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare the whole place on their account. Here's a few things. You want to be an intercessor? Abraham starts his intercession with reminding God of his character. Because if you're an intercessor, you know the character of God. And you remind an intercessor spends a lot of time reminding God of his promises and reminding God of who his character is, not because he's forgotten, but God, you're a God of grace. God, you're a God of mercy. You know, 
Uh, Abraham is saying, God, you're a just God. Uh, uh, far be it to slay the righteous and the wicked. You're the judge of all the earth. Don't you deal justly? See, he's reminding, Lord, Lord this is who you are. You're not going to destroy. No, just 50 righteous people. And so an intercessor oftentimes starts with, with the promises of God and the character of God. God's merciful. He's full of compassion. He's abounding in loving kindness. There are many people who will not come to Christ because they believe that the, the, the Lord is unfair. He's not just. I mean, listen, if God were just, then why this? Why did this happen? Why is that going on? God, if you have the power to do something, you should have done something, but, but you didn't, therefore you're unjust. And they forget that sin is a result of sinful nature of man, the selfish nature of man, and Satan. And they transfer what happens in the world and blame God when it wasn't God. It was someone who was sinful. It was someone who was selfish. It was Satan pulling the strings behind causing someone to do something. There's a whole teaching we did on that. Why bad things happen in the world. He reminds God. Then he's because Abraham's a negotiator. Yeah, he didn't get to be a sheik by not knowing how to wheel and deal a little bit. You know, you, you probably didn't want to get in a deal with Abraham. I mean, it'd be fair, but he beat you over the head for, for you know, a penny. Wait a second, man. That penny's mine. Okay, all right, all right. You know, that was Abraham. Yeah? And so he begins to barter with God. And he says, hey, would you destroy it for 50 righteous people? How about 45 righteous people? Man, what about 40 righteous people? What about 30 righteous people? You know what? And I think that intercessors know specifics. They, ha they pray for specific things. I think inter an intercessor would say, Lord, are there f no, 50 people? I mean, like a number. Why do you, where do you get that number from? I don't know. But I think intercessors pray for specific things, specific things. And you know what else? If you want to be an intercessor, it requires a pushing through. Boy, prayer is hard work. Amen? Prayer over time is even harder. The old saying was push. Pray until something happens. P-U-S-H. Uh, uh, push. It, it requires a pushing through. And so, so Abraham is not satisfied at 50. He says, okay, well, you know, it is Sodom and Gomorrah. A 45? Okay, okay, wait, wait a minute. Oh, yeah, pretty wicked. Let's go 40. Uh, okay, and, and, and 30. And, and he's pushing through. Uh, why didn't he give up at 40 or 50? And, and, and why didn't he, after he, why did he just stop there and just say, you know, it's in the Lord's hands, or you know what, the Lord's going to do whatever he will do because an, an intercessor feels the need of the moment, and they enter into that pain or that hurt. And they enter into the, 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 the hurt of, of lost people who may die not knowing Jesus. And Abraham took on that hurt and said, Lord, if there's, if there's 30 righteous people there, would you destroy them? He's feeling what's about to happen. He's, he's a man of compassion. He's interceding for these people. They say, Lord, don't do it. 30, 20, 10. Lord, even, and, and, and maybe he's thinking for sure there's 10 righteous people there. I mean, because after all, Lot and his family are there, right? Let's see, that's, that's, that's two, uh, four, six, and whatever kids. Yeah, cool, 10? But he feels it. That's, that's what God wanted to draw out, out of Abraham, a, a heart that cared much for the people made in the image of God and worked hard to intercede on behalf of an entire city that deserved judgment. I mean, you would think Abraham would say, yeah, man, destroy that place because I've had enough of it. But spare Lot. I mean, can I, can I get Lot before you do what you do? Let me get Lot, but then get rid of that eyesore. I'm tired of it. But he had the heart of compassion for people who didn't deserve it. I'm yelling, aren't I? I'm so sorry. I don't mean to. I don't mean to yell at you. That's the heart of a great leader. That's the heart of a, of a leader who would birth a great and mighty nation. And there are some times that God will place something in your heart 
And you'll find yourself having a compassion for people that will make no sense at all. I was reading just the insert of the book, The Cross and the Switchblade. David Wilkerson's story of moving from, from Hick, Hickville, Virginia, Hickville, Virginia, moving to the inner city of New York to reach the hardest of the hard. And it all happened because of a Life magazine sketch of these seven young men who were on trial for, for brutally murdering a young autistic boy. And, and he's flipping through in Virginia, in the mountains of Virginia, ain't thinking about, never even been to New York City. And he sees this, and, and, and he looks at it, and it grips his heart. And he tries to throw it away, and he can't. Uh, but, but, but God was doing something in him, and, and it created a, 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 a something. He, he let and moved to New York City and starts reaching these. Uh, Nikki Cruz, you heard that name? Fiery evangelist who got saved at a David Wilkerson crusade a long time ago. But, but it, was, it, was, it was a heart of intercession because an intercessor will say, man, someone's got to do something, and God will say, good, do it. You go, what? <laughs> that's, that's what he did. He cared for people. And God will do that to you. God will place people on your heart that you may have never even thought about before. He'll put a nation or a people group or even someone right next to you and say, I want you to pray for that person. Why? Because God wants us to participate. And intercess intercessors get the joy of participating and watching God doing something. But you know what? Real intercessors, even if they never see it happen, they're good with that too because they understand that God has a plan and they participated in that even if it doesn't turn out the way they thought it would. Why did he stop at 10, 30, 20, verse 32 and 33? Then he said, Lord, may, okay, oh, may the Lord not be angry that I speak only this once. Suppose 10 are found there. And he said, I will not destroy on the count of 10. You understand God saying, listen, Abraham, I'm going to search it out. If there's 10 righteous people in that city, I won't destroy it. Which tells me that sometimes God will destroy a city or a nation or whatever, not solely because of the unrighteousness there, but because of the lack of, the lack of righteousness. If there were 11 righteous people in that city who, who feared God and who believed God, he would not have destroyed it. But there weren't there. They weren't there. You know, Hebrews says this. Therefore, he is also able to save to the utmost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. That's Jesus. You know, Jesus makes intercession for you. Romans 8.27 says, Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he, that is Jesus, makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Um, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, Peter. And when you return, strengthen the brothers. Never are we more like Jesus than when we're interceding. We're praying on behalf of others. Never are we more like Jesus. And you know what? Lastly, I think an intercessor must know God's power and they must know the needs of others. Abraham believed in that. Interesting, huh? I bet you he didn't even know he was an intercessor. Interesting, huh? I bet you there's something God may have birthed in you. Something God dropped in your heart. You looked at something and, and, some, and everything within you screamed, that's not right. There's some burden God placed on your heart. You have no idea where it came from. That's birthing the heart of an intercessor. And sometimes when God causes you to intercede on behalf of others, he will also call you to take a step in solving that injustice or that unrighteousness. Well, we're learning a lot about our man. 
it's all good. And it says the Lord departed and Abraham returned to his place. Tried. I guess he's just going to have to believe that Lot's been busy because he hasn't had contact with him seemingly. He's going to have to believe Lot's been doing his thing in, in, in Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah. To find out, I encourage you to read ahead. Most of you know the story, but we're going to keep on keeping on. I know, yeah, and there's a promise yet to come. Promise, child. Let's pray. Father, it's in Jesus' name that we thank you for your word. And this has been just, I, I'm, I'm really enjoying this. I'm learning a lot about Abraham, and I'm learning a lot about you, Lord, and I'm learning a lot about me. Lord, that you would um, hear the cries of our heart tonight. And, and I just, I just, I want you, as, as the Lord would lead you, to just right now focus on someone or something that's been a burden for you and just pray for that right now. You could pray out loud. You could pray silently. But if there's, there's something that, that, that you just want to pray for, maybe it's a nation, maybe it's a family, maybe it's someone, and, and you want to just remind the Lord to be compassionate and merciful. You want to remind the Lord to send someone to them, even if it's you. And maybe that's what you need to say, Lord, hear my, send me. Take a few minutes and just do that right now. Just, just pray. We'll intercede together. might need to name a name. Be specific. 50 people, Abraham said. Bring a name up before the Lord. God knows where they are. Give us endurance to push through, even when we don't see results. Lord, thank you for allowing us to participate in what you're doing. We give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. As the song says, it's all about you, Jesus. And all this is for you, for your glory and your fame. It's not about me as if you should do things my way. You alone are God, and we surrender. In Jesus' name, amen.